What do we have to do to live meaningful lives? We're going to have to grapple with that question. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. It is hard not to sense that something vast and unsettling is emerging from beneath modern life. Even here in Silicon Valley, where we have become accustomed to continuous change, this time, it somehow seems different. That's Bill Davidow, long-term venture capitalist, reading from his new book, The Autonomous Revolution. The change he's talking about is the coming revolution in AI and automation. And I do not use the word revolution lightly. There have only been two technological revolutions in all of human history. The agricultural revolution, where we learn to plant and domesticate animals, and the industrial revolution, the introduction of machines to do work. Think about that. Two technological revolutions in all of human history, and if you're listening to this podcast right now, the third revolution will take place during your lifetime. In fact, it's already started, and it's going to shatter everything you know about being alive. This is now a third change in form. To illustrate that, when you had the agricultural revolution, you had the creation of uh, things like money, yes. the creation of the written language. When you had the industrial revolution, you had the creation of the work week and the wage. These weren't things that were there before. So when we talk about an autonomous revolution, we expect there will be things invented, effects on society that we don't even have the faintest idea. Yeah. One of the, the uh, examples we use in the, in the book about the autonomous revolution is we say civilization is undergoing phase change. And we draw the analogy between water and ice. And when water goes through phase change, it goes through a critical temperature and it changes form. It goes from being a liquid to a solid it obeys different rules, fluid flow for water. We use different tools, pumps and pipes for water, and our intuition about water tells us nothing about ice. In the same way, uh, phase change is affecting our social institutions and they're changing form, obeying different rules, using different tools, and our intuition just fails. There almost aren't words or concepts to describe 
what happens during a revolution. If we've only had two of them, the agricultural revolution and the industrial revolution, and neither you nor I were alive when they happened. We've never seen a revolution in our lifetimes. What we're going to do is see a whole new set of experiences, and this is very unsettling. It's creating a lot of insecurity because we're all aware of things going on, and then people are worried about where's my next job coming from, um, uh, you know, what are my kids going to do, uh, and uh, there are all these unsettling things going on. Our value systems are changing. The physical infrastructure of society is going to change. Remember, uh, agricultural revolution, we wandered around before it. Then after that, we had settlements, villages, and then cities, and then city-states. The Industrial Revolution, we created the industrial city. Uh, at the start of the Industrial Revolution, 94% of us lived in the country. Today, 80% of us uh, live in urban environments, and we created the suburbs. It's reasonable to expect that our physical infrastructure is going to change as well. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Well, I think most people, when they talk about autonomous revolution and robots and whatnot, are primarily worried about their jobs. I mean, certainly we've seen robots replace people in, in car factories and things. But the prediction is lots of people will lose their jobs. Is that the biggest thing we need to worry about? I think lots of people are going to lose their jobs. And I think it's something we have to worry about because uh, we've defined our personal identities and our self-esteem in terms of having a job. But, you know, it, one of the things that one can scratch their head about is that a lot of us do socially useful work and we aren't paid. Um, I, I, the example I use is if I'm a mother and I sit at home and I raise a child, whether uh, or if I'm a father and I sit at home and I raise a child, I'm not paid for that. But if I go to a daycare center, somebody is paid for doing that. So uh, one could argue that if the government gives me a subsidy, if I work and I have somebody else take care of my child, why shouldn't the government pay me to raise my own children? Americans 
this idea of perhaps a universal basic income, particularly in a world in which there are robots and 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 autonomous uh, uh, devices, Americans just seem to hate that idea. It doesn't matter if you're conservative or not. Conservatives really hate it. There's something in American blood that says you can't get something for nothing. You're absolutely right, and uh, it, it, you know I think the autonomous revolution calls into question. Uh, something that we call the Protestant work ethic. And uh, I think that these are the challenges that we face because these are part of the new rules of society. So we have to answer that question. And is the only way that I can have personal self-esteem is having a paid job. And the American work ethic was invented at a time during the Industrial Revolution in which work meant something in a way that perhaps it won't at a time when many of us either don't need to or can't do what robots or AI do. Well, yeah, and then, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too philosophical. Oh, here. go for it. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there are questions about what do we have to do to live meaningful lives? And uh, we're going to have to grapple with that question. Remember, when we talk about people losing jobs, we're not just talking about machinists replaced by machines, assembly line workers, that kind of thing. We're talking about lawyers and doctors replaced by AI, pilots, engineers. Their skills would no longer be needed. They would be people of zero economic value. That sounds... Well, it almost sounds a little offensive, but you're not talking about somebody with zero value. They could be PhDs. They could be intelligent, giving, caring human beings who, in a different, advanced, autonomous world, don't have economic value. We referred to the zero economic value man. And by that, we meant that the person could have all kinds of skills but the economy wasn't prepared to pay him money for that or her money for that. It's like the mother who raises a child. I don't see us sending checks to that mother, father who's raising that child. So that person is a zero economic value person, but Raising children is really important. No doubt. But there is alarm bells go off in my head if this idea of zero economic value, ZEV, ZEVs, let's call them, it almost sounds like H.G. Wells. That, again, these are not people who can't, who can't contribute. They can contribute. But in our new autonomous world, can't add to the GDP because machines would just do that. And we could be talking about lawyers or doctors at this point, radiologists who would become Zevs. That's right. What do we do in a society in which some of people can't contribute? Well, the question is, how do you define contribution? And we've always defined contribution... Economically. Economically. And, and so... These are the kinds of things that happen in phase change. Are dollars the only metric for contribution? And I think we'd agree they're not. You use the example of a mother or a father staying at home raising children or coaching a little league in which theoretically the government would then pay them to do that, which 
as we were speaking earlier, particularly conservatives, but I think a lot of Americans would say, oh, hold on, that sounds almost a bit socialist, which is funny coming from a famous venture capitalist. Well, all right, but here I am, I'm almost 85, and uh, suppose that uh, my kids spend a lot of time taking care of me as opposed to putting me in some uh, institutionalized home. Are they zero economic value people because they did that? Dollars-wise? Yes. Yeah, they are. Value-wise, of course not. We're going to end up having to have a new value system uh, that will come with it. And these are the kinds of issues that we've got to debate. You know, one of the analogies that I use, which is water and ice and Ice breaks pipes, and it also sinks ships. Remember the Titanic, right? And if you don't deal with phase change properly, there are going to be problems. And our tendency to deal with phase change is to say, this is the way it was during the Industrial Revolution. We are going to apply that same solution to a different form. Isn't that fascinating that our country is created during the Industrial Revolution. And I hadn't thought of it this way, but a lot of the values that we bring as they are writing the Constitution, as they are forming a government, this grand experiment, is based on ideas from the Industrial Revolution that possibly wouldn't carry over well into the next autonomous revolution. Yeah, I, I think that possibly the ideas in the Constitution, a lot of them, came from the agricultural revolution. Fair enough. Mostly uh, be, farms, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, it, it, the Industrial Revolution started around 1750 or 1740, and the ideas of the Constitution were late 1700s. So the Constitution reflects, I would say, early industrial age thinking, but a lot of it reflects agricultural age thinking, too. And so a lot of the ideas are not going to apply nearly as well in an autonomous era. That'll be a painful transition. And I'm sure it was a painful transition into the agricultural revolution and out of it into the industrial revolution. And now we'll have one more paroxysm of pain. Well, all right, but look at it this way. The industrial revolution started... I'm going to say roughly 300 years ago, and we've been adjusting to it over a 300-year period. Uh, the autonomous revolution probably started uh, around 2000. It's happened uh, much faster, whether it's 10 times faster or not. Can't predict, but, yeah. But the shock of this adjustment, it's a big step. Oh, gosh, I, my m memory is failing me. The, the fellow who created the term cultural lag, where one step of society gets out of step with another, we are going to experience cultural lag big time because the changes are going on so fast. One of the things that I think is exacerbating that the haves and the haves not, is as we have automation, as we have reasonably free world trade, stuff is getting less expensive. But rent and health care is not. And that is killing the American middle class. All right. So we talk about living in a bipolar society. 
And if you think of it this way, the value of work is being determined, I'm going to say, by robots. So value of work is experiencing deflation. The worker is working in a deflationary society. The necessities of life are being driven by demographics. We're running out of land, so the price of homes is increasing at twice the uh, rate of inflation. Health insurance has increased by 54% in the last five years. The cost of education is going up. The cost of food is increasing faster than the price of inflation. So the typical worker is working in a deflationary society and living in an inflationary one. And that creates a, a big problem. In the past, those things were more tightly correlated. When prices went up, wages went up. Today, that correlation is broken. Bill Davidow, legendary venture capitalist and prolific author. With all that doom and gloom, I'll let Bill have the last word from his book, The Autonomous Revolution. Despite these warnings and our analysis of the growing dysfunctionality of modern life in the pages that follow, we hope that the reader will come away from this book with a sense of optimism. We should never forget that human beings are extraordinary creatures, brave, endlessly creative, adaptive, and born survivors. Over the course of the last million years, we have gotten through much worse. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers, executive produced by Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.